Mm. And so it was very painful because I, I really lost my whole friend group from high school that were really important to me uh, over this faith thing. Yet it was worth it because I, I was, I was growing in this depth of, of intimacy with, with Jesus. It just, all of it was worth it. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big, miraculous ways, all the way down to small, everyday things. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. This week is Kylie, and I have with me um, James. James and I um, are in class together at Andrews University, and he is working on a dual degree for social work and theology. Um, I always want to call it like pastor, but that's not what the degree is called. So, um, A master in pastoring does sound pretty cool though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same thing, but I guess not. So <laughs> give it a real name anyways. So let's say a prayer. We'll get started um, and get into this. Um, dear father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to record James stories about what you've done in his life. Please just send the Holy Spirit to be with us as we record this episode. Please give him the words to speak and me the questions to ask. Um, Be with this interview and let it touch the hearts and ears of the listeners. Um, And please just be with James and I's internet. Help it to stay stable as we record. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, James. So why don't you tell everybody where you're from? Yeah. So, (laughs) excuse me. That is a complicated question in itself because I'm from several different places. I was born and raised in Maine, in the middle of nowhere in Maine, Uh, then eventually moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so that's kind of like my second home. I was, uh, I always like to say I was kind of hood adjacent. I wasn't in the hood, but I was pretty close. So it was quite a change from rural Maine. And then I've also lived in Florida for a while as well. Okay. And I'm currently in Michigan for school. So currently in Michigan. All right. Um, all right. And then tell us about your religious background. Did you grow up in a Christian home? Yeah, originally, well, I've always grown up in a Christian home. Originally, I was actually a pastor's kid. Okay. So for the first few years of my life, my dad was a pastor of four Seventh-day Adventist churches. Oh, goodness. That's a lot. It was uh, a busy time. Yeah. And I'm the fourth of five children. So there were five kids in four churches and uh, a lot of busyness going on at all times. So that was my initial first probably eight or nine years. But my family kind of blew up and um, it disintegrated afterwards. And uh, we moved from there. My mom moved us five kids after my parents got divorced. And I ended up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we all left the Seventh-day Adventist Church my uh, mom started taking us to a non-denominational church and I left religion altogether for probably five or six years. And um, so, yeah, I initially started with like a Christian background, but I, I rebelled against that after, after my parents divorced. Okay. And so then your stories, you came to share some. Yes. So I'm assuming it's probably after this rebellion. Yeah, well, it it is. It's it's really a part of that process. I think one of the cool things that I I see when I look back is that that God has really been consistently present no matter how far I felt 
from him. And so, um, yeah, when my parents split up, that hurt me deeply. Uh, it, it was a very painful experience for me. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I went on this this mindset of, you know, I never I never doubted that God existed, but I didn't believe that he was a good God. Mm. You know, if he was a good God, he would have taken care of my family. He would have, you know, preserved my parents' marriage. He would have taken care of me and made sure I didn't feel so isolated and so alone. And, and he didn't. So, uh, you know, he obviously, in my mind, takes some joy in not hearing me mm. and not listening to me. So I spent uh, those years just really hurt and really angry. And I, I grew up into my teen years really rebelling against everything. Um, I was pretty much a punk. I had a mohawk for a long time and uh, went to heavy metal shows every weekend. And <clears throat> yeah, but I got, I got increasingly just dissatisfied with everything in this life. And I got more and more self-destructive and, and less and less, um, less and less care about anything, really. I, I didn't care about the world. So at, at some point, my mom moved us down to, to Florida. And I was in high school in Florida. And between my sophomore and junior year, um, I, I kind of reached the end of my rope. <clears throat> and I really felt like everybody had abandoned me. Nobody cared about me. You know, we talk in, in social work a lot about these, you know, these, these schemas that, that we base our life around in, in these, um, in one of our classes, we talk about automatic thoughts, right? The things that we feed ourselves on a regular basis. My automatic thoughts were all really, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Uh, I'm all alone. And that made me, you know, when I believe those three things, uh, it made me want to lash out. And yeah. um, so I spent just a lot of time isolating myself. You know, I had a small group of friends who, you know, we were, we were close and we were, we were friendly and I wasn't someone that was so like antisocial. Everyone who knew me would kind of say, you know, he was a nice, happy guy, but underneath it all, <clears throat> I was very, very angry and very, very frustrated with the world. Mm. So I kind of decided that I was going to go on this goodbye tour. Um, and then I was going to kill myself. Wow. So, um, and you're like in high school still at this time or like, I was 15. Oh yeah. 15. Wow. 15, 15 or 16. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so I went up to, I went for the summer between my sophomore and junior year, I went up to Maine and I saw my old friends up there, saw my dad and had some really just negative experiences with, with everybody up there. Um, I, I couldn't seem to get along with my dad. I really still felt like he abandoned my family. And so I had a lot of resentment towards him. And then my friends that were there, uh, I just kept feeling like they were like betraying me. And some of it was real. They really were, you know, not kind to me. And some of it was just perceived because I was in such a negative headspace. Yeah. So I, I, it, it made me withdraw some more. <clears throat> and then I went down to Tennessee and I hung out with some old friends there and met some new friends and really tried to kind of numb my pain by meaningless kind of not even relationships, just like, you know, chasing after girls, like mm -hmm. a lot. And um, it was very empty and it was very drama filled and it was very annoying. And 
uh, it just increased this sense of just total dissatisfaction with my life and where I was. So I, I, at that point, I was pretty sure, okay, you know what? I'm going to go back down to Florida and say goodbye to my friends. Like they won't know I'm saying goodbye, but I'm going to just see them one last time. And then I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to commit suicide. And, um, the trouble was I didn't, (laughs) excuse me. Sorry. The trouble was I didn't have a way to get from Tennessee to Florida. Mm. And so I was stuck there and I needed to get home before school started. And so I'm trying to find some way to get home. My family had very little money. You know, we grew up in, in quite a bit of poverty. And so it wasn't, you know, something simple, just buy me a ticket or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so my mom says, well, okay, the church I go to, which was this little Baptist church in Florida, she said, they're having this church camp in North Carolina. And they said, you can come for free. And if you get there, they'll give you a ride home. And so I'm like, oh man, church camp. I'm like, I, that's not really what I want to do right now. Um, but I need a ride home and I'm sure there'll be girls there so I can flirt with somebody and <laughs> waste the time. And so I found a ride out to North Carolina and I went to this little church camp and actually it was a really big camp. It was this beautiful resort and they had a lot of activities. A lot of different churches all came together at one time. And, um, I had a really great time during the day. And then every night this preacher came up and he preached, really powerful sermons. He, he preached very differently from a lot of other people. He kind of said it how it is and, you know, um, made a lot of jokes and stuff. He wasn't like a lot of the pastors I'd heard before. And um, every night he would preach a really meaningful sermon and it would, it would impact. Me. And then he would give what they call an altar call. We don't always call it that in the Adventist church, but, you know, he would invite people forward to give their lives to Christ. And every night they would, they would have this altar call. And every night I would sense, you know, what now I know is the Holy Spirit. But back then I didn't recognize that. I would sense that I was supposed to go forward and give my life to God and, you know, let him be in my life. But I did not want that at all. You're still struggling, like at this point, like with even the fact that like, you know, like God is a good God. Right. And that like there is meaning and purpose to life. Right. And so in in my story, my experience with early, my early experience with Christians uh, growing up, some of the Seventh-day Adventist churches I was in, uh, they were very toxic Mm -hmm. and they were very painful. And the conference my dad worked for was not always very supportive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about being trauma-informed. Nobody was (laughs) trauma-informed. My mom was dealing with a mental illness. And uh, there was no support, especially Mm -hmm. back then for that at all. There was no recognition that this was even a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up and recognized that that church, those churches, that church district and that conference played a role in my family's demise. And that's why my family left the church afterward. It's because it was so painful to this day. Nobody else in my family, Seventh-day Adventist, Mm. um, everybody else has, has left. Most of them are still Christian, um, but they had to go to a different denomination to experience grace. Mm -hmm. Um, So my perspective of Christianity was really negative. And um, 
yeah, my perspective was really negative. And I thought that if I was going to become a Christian, I would turn into this mindless robot. Like I did not want Jesus to have control of my life because he would, yeah, he would tell me what to do. And I didn't like that. And mm. also I, I felt like I would just become fake because I, my view of Christianity was everybody was fake. Everybody was, you know, if they were happy and joyful, it wasn't real. They were just mm-hmm. making that stuff up. Mm-hmm. I've seen some old ladies at church, churches and they're like, they just talk in this, this happy voice. And you're just like, that's, that's not real. Right. <laughs> Knock right. it off. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. I met, I, I used to talk to this guy and I'd ask him every time I saw him, Hey, how, how are you doing? He'd say, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord <laughs> every single time. And I'm like, okay, I know that's true. We're all blessed and highly favored of the Lord, but also how are you? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just put on these masks and I was so used to those masks and I'm like, that's not me. I don't want that. But there was something really real about these conversations this pastor was having. Uh, about God and about Jesus and about who he really was. And I couldn't ignore that. I was really trying. And so every night he would have these powerful altar calls. And literally, I would just almost have to physically hold myself in my seat because there was something inside of me that really wanted to go forward and, and try this thing. But there was this like this cognitive part of my brain that's saying, no, like I'm not going to do this. And so he did this night one, night two, night three, you know, six nights in a row. And on the sixth night, he was, and you know, (laughs) this is the last night of the camp. And he's been hammering away at at everything this whole time. And he preaches this really incredible sermon. I don't actually remember anything about the sermon now. I just remember being moved by it. And at the end, again, altar call. And again, I don't want to go up. But like everything within me is fighting with myself because there's this part of me that's just drawn to go up there. The Holy Spirit is just moving on me, but I don't want to do it. And so he he has an altar call, an extra long one, right? This is his last chance, his last night. And so he's just really going at it. And no matter what he did, I wouldn't go forward. And then after the altar call, they had kind of this afterglow moment where um, someone came up and played music and ironically for Seventh-day Adventists in certain parts of the world, it was, it was a drums. He was playing like a drum little solo, just kind of to, you know, the mood afterwards. Right. Yeah. And somehow in that moment, it, it, like it bypassed everything else, all of these resistance, you know, to the words and to these ideas. But just in that moment, I kind of just really recognized it felt the totality of, of Jesus' love for me, despite myself. And I started crying. And, you know, I'm this tough kid. You know, I don't do any of this kind of stuff. And um, I'm sitting there crying. And um, my the youth pastor of this small church in Florida, he recognized that a lot of us in the youth group were moved. So afterwards, instead of letting us go play like we normally do, he took us into this, like, side room, this empty room. And I remember he had us all stand on one, one wall and he put a line down the middle. I don't know if he used tape. I think he did, but he put a line down the middle of the room. And he just said, when you're ready to, to go all in, when you're ready to really give your life to Jesus, I want you to come to the other side. Mm. And um, yeah, I was the first one to cross the line. I oh, was wow. 
I was just like, I can't, you know, I can't do this anymore. I know this is what I need. And so I went across the line and um, our whole youth group did. And we, we all were like crying and it was a really dramatic moment. And I remember my first prayer was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'm sorry, which was not eloquent, but maybe the most honest prayer I've ever prayed. And um, yeah, it was a powerful moment. And not everybody has those dramatic moments, right? I think that's really important uh, for anybody's listening, because some people will compare that story to their story and say, well, I never had this like this moment where I gave my life, I just always kind of grew into it. And that's, that's an equally valid story. I think that's in some ways a more beautiful story because it means that you never had to go, you know, (laughs) way off and out of bounds before Jesus brought you back. But for me, yeah, I was in such a bad place. So when Jesus like saved my eternal life, he saved my physical life too. Um, because I wasn't, I wasn't going to last much longer if I, if my life didn't change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was powerful, but that wasn't the end of it. And this is, I think also maybe something that I think is important for some people to hear because after I became a Christian, I, I got baptized. It was a powerful experience. Um, but for a time afterwards, I got worse. Mm. After becoming a believer, I didn't immediately get better. It wasn't like this switch was flipped. And now all of a sudden I'm a good kid and I have no issues. You know, like I still had the trauma of my past. I still had my old old ways of thinking and that doesn't change overnight for everybody. Mm -mm. So some things he took away right away. Like, um, you know, I used to have a really foul mouth. I I cussed all the time and I didn't care. And that kind of went away pretty quickly. Like that wasn't even a problem. But there were all these other struggles in my life, especially struggles with with um, confusing, you know, um, female attention for intimate love. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had to relearn that whole part of of my life. So I actually did drugs after I became a Christian and I, you know, I lost my virginity after I became a Christian. I, I was worse off than before. And it was because now I had a conscience that was awakened. Like I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't know what to do about it because nobody discipled me. Yeah. And sometimes like, you know, the devil's like, well, now I'm going to attack you that much more. Like before, like you were like lukewarm, you know, like there wasn't much to worry about or like even cold, but now you're just like, and he's now you're like ready to learn about God. And the devil's like, ah, let me put roadblocks in your way. Let me put doubt in your mind. Let me hinder this new experience. Exactly. Exactly. And I had, you know, ironically, I had spoken with God before I gave my life to him again, because I believed in him. I just didn't like him very much. Mm. But one of the things that I always thought was, um, if I do become a Christian, it's become, it's going to be all or nothing. Like I'm going to be all in. I'm not going to halfway it. I'm not going to, you know, be lukewarm about this. So I think that's another reason why I resisted him for so long, because I knew this would have to be a total reorientation of of everything in my existence. Mm -hmm. And I had seen people, I knew people like my older sister. She was such an example of a true Christian, just the most loving, um, kind person. 
who really cared deeply about other people after she experienced this, this walk with Jesus and other people in my life who'd sort of poured into me at various times. So I knew what it meant to be a true Christian. And I said, okay, I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. But then I didn't know how, and I felt so bad about myself. So I went to all these old kind of coping mechanisms. And then there were three books that were given to me that really transformed my life. Um, the first one was Pilgrim's Progress, which um, for anyone who doesn't know, Pilgrim's Progress is a very old book. It was written, um, I think, in the 1600s. Um, and it, it was written by a man who was in prison, I believe, for his faith at the time. And he wrote this allegory, basically, of, of the Christian walk. It's a really powerful book. And the book I got had all these Bible references in them. And so I started looking up the Bible references <clears throat> and I'd grown up in the church. Right. And then I had gone even afterwards when I was rebellious, my mom made me go to church <laughs> and I went to this thing called Awana, which is kind of like Pathfinders for Avenus. I like Awanas. Yeah. yeah. So I, I went to Awana and um, so I memorized scripture, but there's something so different about, you know, when the Holy Spirit is in your life, the word really does become alive. It's a different book entirely. So I started reading these verses and saying, what? Like, I don't remember any of this. This stuff is so good. And then I got another book called um, The Case for Christ. Hmm. And The Case for Christ was, you know, an atheist who wanted to prove to his wife, you know, he was a, he was a journalist. So he wanted to prove journalistically that Jesus didn't exist. Jesus didn't die for our sins. And so he, he tries to see if these claims would hold up in a court of law. And um, he ends up having his mind changed, right? And it's a, it's a really, really insightful book. And it's filled with all these scriptures. And so I looked up every scripture reference there and just started reading. You know, so many of them were in the Gospels. But then a lot of them were prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and that created so much curiosity to me. And I'm like, what? I don't remember, you know, what is Israel? What is Judah? You know, when did they go from Abraham to, you know, being in Babylon? I couldn't understand the timeline. So I started in Genesis after that because I just wanted to know. And I read straight through the Bible. Wow. And which I don't always recommend because um, numbers is pretty tough to get through. <laughs> you get stuck um, there and you're like, I can't go on. <laughs> right. And reading 150 Psalms in a row can be a little bit um, challenging. But man, I fell in love. Like that set me on fire. And I said, this stuff is so powerful, so good. And then the third book was um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And that book doesn't use scripture at all. That book uh, uses just basic logic in a really accessible way um, where C.S. Lewis was explaining why he's a Christian from an intellectual perspective and why having an external morality makes sense. You know, the fact that our whole justice system is based on the fact that we can agree on what is justice and what is injustice. And uh, the fact that all around the world, we have similar codes, even though they look different in different cultures. And he works from that point and continues to develop. Well, if there is an external morality, it has to come from somewhere. And that person, that, that somewhere has to be intelligent in order to create this in order and anyway it, it goes through this whole process that leads you step by step to recognize there is a reasonableness 
to having faith in Jesus and to believing in this Christian God. And that was so important to me because I was such a cynical person and I, I, I really didn't want to be taken for a ride and, and, and being taken advantage of and being a fool. And so seeing somebody who really was on a high intellectual plane to be able to say, okay, but there are reasons for this. There's mm. still faith. You know, it's not a proof. It will never yeah. be a proof, but there's, there's, there's a background to this. Right. And so between C.S. Lewis and then um, <coughs> in case for Christ with Leif Strobel, those two books really laid an intellectual foundation for the faith that I had. And then uh, Pilgrim's Progress and then reading through the Bible straight through provided the faith aspect of this saying, man, I, I just really want this connection with God. I want to have that kind of that kind of walk. And that set me on fire. Um, that really was what was the big turning point for my life where I let go of a lot of the old stuff. Um, I tried to maintain my friendships with my, my friends at high school and they all one by one kind of distanced themselves from me. Cause once I had faith and I wasn't smoking weed or, you know, whatever they, we didn't have that much in common. Mm. And so it was very painful because I, I really lost my whole friend group from high school that were really important to me uh, over this faith thing. And um, yet it was worth it because I, I was, I was growing in this depth of, of intimacy with, with Jesus. It just, all of it was worth it because mm. he, he took away my anger. He took away my self-hatred. Um, a few months later, I was able to, to have this pretty powerful experience of forgiving my dad, which totally changed our relationship because I saw him in a new light and I had this compassion for him. And um, yeah, then I, I went on a mission trip to China right after that. And oh, wow. between those things, um, that really set me on a totally different path. And so now my life is, is kind of geared toward just trying to help people and trying to love people as best I can. That's cool. That's cool. And now you're headed towards being a pastor and you're working towards, it sounds like working towards um, helping churches be more trauma informed and be more like aware that, you know, like us in the church can like cause these pains, but that's, yeah, that's awesome. I like that idea. But also I like your story about like, you know, like we're not perfect when we can become Christians. Sometimes it gets harder. Sometimes it gets worse. <clears throat> and then just like the different things that God like uses to bring us closer to him. Like, you know, like the Bible was in there that brought it, you closer to him, but like, it was also things outside of the Bible. Like God mm. works through a lot of different things. And sometimes we forget that. And we're like, no, just, just the Bible. And like the Bible was in there, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of things. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you bring up a really good point about this idea of trauma informed churches is really important to me. And, and I've had some conversations actually pretty recently on Facebook. I was sharing some things about, you know, reasons why a lot of young adults have left the church. You know, mm. they were shared in this study. And um, a lot of my friends who have also left the church chimed in on this post. And so many of them, you know, they came back to really two core things. One, the church hurt me deeply. And two, the church really did not have any place for me when I had mental illness. I had depression or anxiety or PTSD and the church didn't understand it. And so I got ostracized. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's like the church is the body of Christ, which is supposed to be the most honestly loving 
community, radically loving community that there ever was, because that's who we follow and that's who we're connected to. And yet so many people have to leave the church because it's so painful. And then oftentimes the mentality of, of people who stay in the church is a blaming mentality of them because their mm. faith was too weak and that's why they left. But Jesus talks about the ones who have weak faith, right? If, if one sheep leaves, we're supposed to go out there and be with them, not with the 99. And Paul talks a lot of, in, in Romans about the person whose faith is weak. If you have a strong faith, you're supposed to bear with the failings of the weak. Like It's our prerogative. If we think we have strong faith. It's our prerogative to go to them and be with them and recognize them in their weakness instead of blaming them because their faith was too weak and that's why they left the church. So being trauma-informed is just, I think, so critical, um, especially right now, because I think there's a lot of traumatized people who are being continually traumatized by the church. Yeah, yeah. And I know, yeah, I know my own family has experienced stuff from the church. It's just like, who does that? <laughs> but I love that. I love that thought about just, we're supposed to be with, uh, we're supposed to be with like those people, like we see leaving the church. Cause like, I've seen my own friends, like leaving slowly or leaving quickly. And, and like, I mean, it's just like other life circumstances, but just the thought of like going and being with them. Like, I never thought about that. Like, I was like, yeah, we need to put ourselves out there and we need to yeah, help them. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Do you have any other stories you want to share about how God has worked in your life really quick? Oh man, I have uh, so many I could share. Um, I mean, it's not, you can say, you can tell me no, but I just, I don't know. No, let me, let me share an example of, of where I've seen God kind of use me with, uh, without me knowing about it. And this was, this is what's kind of built my faith is these kinds of stories, which thankfully I have several of but when I went to China the first time <clears throat> there was a point where I was really on fire for God um I'd actually been uh I was a relatively new Christian I'd been deeply influenced by a pastor named David Platt and um he he's a really really I think great pastor who really stands on principle and he had come to speak. And one of the things he came to speak about was, was the knowledge of scripture and how we, we need to know our scripture and how, you know, young people used to memorize the Torah and they still do in a lot of places at a very young age. And yet we almost barely know any scripture ourselves as believers. And then he, he, uh, he recited Psalm 119, the entire thing. Oh my goodness. On stage. And it was this most, this just this powerful, profound experience. And it motivated me to commit scripture to memory. So I started memorizing the book of Matthew, which by the way, if you don't know, Matthew chapter one, the very first thing is a genealogy. So I had to, I had to start by memorizing the genealogy of Jesus. Um, and so that was, that was a fun introduction to it. But man, when I started putting this stuff to memory and just going over it over and over again to make sure I remembered it, it it just set my whole life on fire and right at that time i i went over to china and i had this this deeply intentional missional mindset of like god i just want other people to know you so whatever that looks like that's what i want to do i want to live in such a way that i see all the little places that you're working and that i can be a part of it right 
I ended up going on this trip. My best friend told me about it and then he pulled out and then I didn't know anybody on the trip. Oh no. So I went with 40 people from all over the U S who are high schoolers and college, uh, college students. And I didn't know any of them. Um, but many of us, most of us were really united in just this desire to see people in China know Jesus. And it was the coolest experience of, of real church. I, I think I've ever been a part of because man, we would have as young people, just these spontaneous times where we'd be like, Hey, let's go have a worship session. Like, let's go, let's go sing some worship songs together. And just a bunch of high schoolers and collegiates who wanted to, this wasn't organized by the adults. We would just go and and sing worship songs and we would go and have what we called, you know, popcorn prayer where everyone just sort of took turns praying about what was on their heart, praying for China, praying for the circumstances. And it was so profound and um, a beautiful experience to see all of us from very different backgrounds united in this one thing for the cause of Christ. But the real cool story for me was about halfway through. We'd experienced a lot of trouble on this trip. Um, we got, you know, always tailed by government agents because that's kind of what happens when a group goes there. Um, we had a typhoon come through and then we had extreme heat. It was in the middle of summer in South China in a city called Fuzhou. And uh, it was incredibly hot. And one day, uh, we actually had a fun day and we went to the beach. We were teaching English at a, a conversational English camp. And so we decided to go to the beach and have a beach day, which that beach was not great, but you know, we did what we could. Anyway, we went there and it was incredibly hot and I was in the water all day and I didn't have any sunscreen or anything like that. Oh no. And when you're in the water, you don't recognize you're sweating. And I was sweating all day. And I got incredibly dehydrated and I got home in between the heat and the dehydration. I got very sick. I had heat stroke, which I didn't realize at the time, but oh, wow. um, yeah, I had heat stroke, which is, you know, potentially fatal. It was very bad. And I was in and out of consciousness uh, in someone's room. And in one of the few moments of like mental clarity, I just had this prayer and I'm like, God, <laughs> you know, you brought me here for a reason. And so God, I totally like, I really trust you in this moment. If, if you have a reason for the sickness, then so be it. Like I'm willing to be sick if that's going to be meaningful, but if it's not, I'm praying that you'll just heal me so I can get back up and keep working on this mission. And, um, I had this great peace in my heart and went right back into being unconscious and was not healed. And the next day, that was that was sort of sort of in the middle of the night. And the next day, someone comes to um, sort of pay their respects to me. One of these Chinese students, and he came and he visited my room, brought me some um, traditional medicine, you know, some herbal stuff and whatever, which I wasn't allowed to take because we didn't know what any of it was. So. <laughs> and he spoke to me for a minute and said, you know, we wish you well and so on. And then he left, and you know. Students had been doing that for a while, so it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. But I heard him in the other room. I heard that he hadn't left, and he was speaking to my friend who was Chinese-American, and they were speaking, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And after almost an hour, someone came into the room and said, James, pray. Like, 
he's asking all these questions about the gospel. We're sharing the gospel with him for the very first time. Like oh, wow. we're having, he, he, he's coming to hear about Jesus. And it was in that moment that I, like everything clicked. And I realized had I not been sick, he would have not come to my room. If he mm. hadn't come to my room, he wouldn't have been able to have this divine conversation and he wouldn't have had this, this eternal moment. And that was when I realized like my sickness was for a purpose. Mm. And that was such a, an important experience for me that I have to keep coming back to in my life is that for a believer, nothing is random. Mm-mm. And there's really no such thing as a negative circumstance because if you're willing, and sometimes even if you're unwilling, God is working in you to bring someone else into the kingdom. And you just get to play a role in it. And every once in a while, you get to have a glimpse. Like 98% of the time, you don't get to see what your influence is doing in the world. You yeah. don't get to understand uh, the, the eternal significance of your actions. But every once in a while, God will pull away that curtain and he'll let you see something. And it's the most humbling experience in the world to see that. Mm. So that's a, that's a story I come back to a lot to remember that, um, you know, when I'm in the middle of grad school trying to, <laughs> trying to take care of a family and do an internship and all of these other things, you know, nothing is random and, and God is still in the middle of it. Yeah. And God works all things together for the good for those who love. Yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. Um, I think we can close there unless you want to share some final thoughts. No. Um, no, I think, I think that's a good place to close. I just, <clears throat> I appreciate you letting me share my story and it's, it's always cool to remember. Um, there's a, there's a quote, maybe we can close with it. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll, I'll have to paraphrase it cause I can't remember how that's it's okay. Said. I always paraphrase, but the quote basically says, we have nothing to fear for the future unless we forget how God has worked in the past. Mm, yes. And so going over these stories, going over these testimonies, the things that you're doing and collecting these stories, these are reminders that can help us to come back and say, okay, I have no reason to be anxious about the future in the midst of the pandemic and the political upheaval and all these other things. Don't forget what God has done in the past. He's still working today and he'll still be working in the future. So I have nothing to fear as long as I don't forget that. Yes. Yes. And I think that's, that's where the children of Israel sometimes went wrong is forgetting what God has done in the past. And that's why it's over and over in the old Testament, you know, speak about what I've done, remember these things and Mm. praise the Lord. And that's what our testimonies do. That's awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing James and um, yeah, everybody have a good week. We'll see you all next week. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page, that is God is Real, God is Good Podcast, or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good Podcast at gmail.com. Bye!